asked about it, there is like, as you mentioned, there are two things that really are near and dear to my heart. It is working with the young people in Central City, Milwaukee, and just seeing uh, how desperately they need a mentor from a standpoint of, for the most part, there is not a positive role model in their life. Their neighborhoods have failed them, their families have failed them, their schools have failed them. Um, I've kind of diagnosed, and this kind of maybe jumping ahead just a little bit with some of the older African-American men who are in the neighborhood, what has lost in Central City Milwaukee, and has even lost across America, is that uncle. That uncle that you could go to, who may or may not be biologically your uncle, but someone that you can go to, and it would be an aunt maybe if it's a different topic, but someone that you can go to who wasn't your mom and dad and wasn't your teacher that you could pour your heart out to, that you trusted, and you knew that you were going to get solid advice. And honestly, it was the same information your parents gave you, as your, your sister gave you, your brother gave you, but it came from someone independent. And all of a sudden, it was like gospel gold, and then you're like, yeah, I need to do that. So uh, that's been what's happening at Lighthouse Youth Center for a long time, and as was correctly identified, I've been part of this coaching network uh, for pastors for the past 10 years. Uh, this is a presentation that I had done at Men of His Word. I kind of am blending all these things together. Uh, I do have a trifold that your first task is going to be trifolding it. Uh, you'll get a pen as well. We'll take some notes. I want this to be interactive, but I also need you to grab your phones as well and open up the Bible app. We're going to be looking at um, the spiritual gift of encouragement, and we're going to be gleaning some truths from the Bible history character Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement. And I think we can glean a lot of different things that he did in his ministry and how we encourage other people so that as we mentor other people and also receive mentoring, what's important. I'm just going to try to blend these things together, and I want you to ask questions whenever you can, okay? Can you guys pass this around? Grab some pens. Oh, the eval form before I even start? Oh, yeah, okay, just making sure, so. Trifold, here we go, my college friends. Let's figure this out. Here's this little piece of paper. You go this flap first, this flap first. No airplanes. I know, I do the same thing. I could have put arrows on there for you if you needed, so. Or I could ask my third grader to help out. Uh, no. For the record, though, I, I got it. I figured out. First try. Look at that sticker on the sticker chart for sure. So. <laughs> it should look like this. And beautiful Mike Jor Michael Jordan should be on the front. So. I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube video of Michael Jordan and the Gatorade commercial. Like Michael Jordan was, was, is old, old now, and I'm really dating myself. But when I got asked to do this presentation for the Men of His Word conference, I started thinking about my childhood mentors or role models, right? And I was the kid who had, I don't know why my parents allowed me to do this, but like 127 posters and pictures and baseball cards and basketball cards of Michael Jordan. My parents even found a red ceiling fan and assembled it in my room. And my pride and joy of my, my hoop, or my room, was my Michael Jordan Jr. jammer. It did not have a metal rim on it, so I did never cut my finger on it. But uh, it was in there. It was adjustable. And you can go on 
YouTube and take a look at this uh, Gatorade commercial. Um, I want so desperately to play it for you right now, but I would just show my age again. It's Michael Jordan playing basketball with a bunch of little kids, and he's just having a bunch of fun. He's got his big old smile. He's in the prime of his career, and he's opening up his glass bottle of Gatorade. At one point, Gatorade actually came in glass and actually was even carbonated. It had a little pop to it even. And uh, it was just this Gatorade commercial, and the whole theme was be like Mike. What we're going to do today is we're going to try to look at some passages from Scripture. We're going to want to be more like Barnabas or find, or find a Barnabas to be able to pour into our life. So that's basically page one right there. Page two, our goals. Recognize, oh, first of all, just a little quickly, there's my beautiful family. I've been in Milwaukee for 16 years. I've been running Lighthouse Youth Center. Um, Pastor Aaron was one of the first guys that came and helped me out when we started growing all crazy and kids were coming and uh, we've been doing it now as I said for 16 years and we have three campuses in Milwaukee and it is getting really exciting and really scary we are opening a fourth campus in Appleton Wisconsin uh, next year in downtown Appleton and working with a down and out neighborhood up there their down and out neighborhood does not look like Milwaukee by the way it was funny I was touring this church and they're like this is the worst neighborhood in all of Appleton I'm like Oh my goodness, I'd let my kids go trick-or-treating here. So uh, I don't see one broken car. There's, there, that lady's got plants in front of her house. I'm like, this is crazy. So, um, And then uh, we are also uh, starting next week, I'm starting talks with St. Paul's Muskego on the south side. Uh, they just bought an additional church. And are we going to be doing a Saturday evening slash Sunday evening service and doing a, uh, their bridge service and a part of the building could house a lighthouse. This has all happened in the last month, so it's getting crazy, and I'm asking for prayers. So uh, our goal is to be a beacon for Christ and then be able to help young people make wise life decisions is my, has been my goal. Um, here's the first night of Lighthouse Youth Center. Aaron, you recognize probably pretty much every one of those kids in that process. I think I know all but three, where all three of them are right now. And only one's in jail, so that's like a, a sticker on my sticker chart. No. Uh, a lot of people ask, so these were all Wells kids or kids that know Jesus. There was only one kid in this entire picture who knew what Jesus was other than a cuss word, and this was uh, Tommy. And he was a member at Redemption, and I think he's a Marine. I don't know where he's stationed. I think that's all top secret. He's a, he's a tough dude. But everyone else didn't know who Jesus was, wasn't baptized, and now later on, these men and women are still around Milwaukee. Some of them are actually members of Redemption. Some of them are doing exactly what Scripture says. Some of them need a mentor as well further on in life. And because of that, we're also creating an alumni program at Lighthouse because we all need that extra little push in life, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, some of our stats of Lighthouse, three campuses, 130,000 total attendance with almost 6,000 different kids come through our building. Um, Here's our goals today. Recognize what makes a good mentor role model. Identify the spiritual traits of Barnabas, the encourager, and apply these traits to your life so that you can receive assistance and then assist others on their spiritual walk. Okay? Sound like good goals? Share with the person next to you right now who was your favorite mentor role model up until this point and why. Two minutes. Go. Okay, friends, anyone want to share who their favorite mentor or role model was up into your life at this point, who was brave enough to share, and why? Well, I heard you all talking a second ago. Who would like to share? Go ahead. 
guy I work for in the machine shop at school is this jaded, sarcastic old curmudgeon. But he you always need one of those in your yeah, life. You need one of those. And, yeah. <laughs> to either agree with or disagree with. So like. <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll shoot you straight, though, and tell you how it is. And he'll tell you what you need to do, even if, you know, if you're wrong, he'll let you know. And sometimes you need that. And then if you're having a rough time of it, he'll give you support and stuff, too. So. So. As you would summarize that, what does he always give you? Um, support, I guess. Support. You know, I think you had like you used like three different words, and I don't remember what they all were, but it was like he'd just speak the truth, right? Mm -hmm. If you liked it or didn't like it, he was just honest. And what happens so often when we start making decisions and things like that? Our emotions and our circumstances all take a hold of us, and you just need that straight shooter who's going to give you the truth, right? Maybe some of you picked people like that. Anyone else want to be brave? Go ahead. Uh, my grandfather, he, he died when I was six. But despite I'm sorry. That, despite that, like all of his advice that he gave me up until that point and all of the advice that folks around him, the family too, because he was such a big impact. I mean, I was, he was also a very sarcastic man. <laughs> we got a theme going here. So that was not in the notes, nor is it in scripture, but... Uh, And I assume that if it would have been your mom or dad who said you were being an idiot or a sibling, you probably would have been angry. And then all of a sudden, Grandpa says something like that, and all of a sudden, oh, I better pause and check myself, right? So that's part of that character. I'm sorry for your loss. My dad just died two years ago, and my, my, I look at my little babies right now. I mean, my dad was fantastic like that as well. He was a little sarcastic too, so maybe that was a theme. But this was a straight shooter, just a farmer through and through, and was, had no problem just telling you the way it is, which is... Good and bad, I guess. So, good. One more. Anyone else? Go ahead. Uh, my older cousin. Um, she and I went through some very similar things at different times in our lives, and she was just always like very supportive of me and like would give me advice and stuff. Was she older? Yes. So okay, I think that going to be another theme that we're going to talk about right in this process, right? Someone who's been through a few more experiences, who've been through that same situation, maybe has lived through that and has lived, hey, these are decisions I made. It didn't work out so well at this time. This is what I would have done or, hey, this is what I did and it worked out really well. So I think there's some value there. Um, next question. Make a list of words that describe a mentor. We hinted at a few of them right now. Let's just blurt them out together as you think of them. Raise your hand. Who's got a, when you think of the word mentor, what do you think of? What's a word? A uh, guide. A guide. Very good. Great word. Someone's going to take you down a path. Support. Support. Very good. Wise. Wise. Wisdom. Applied knowledge, right? Not only knows it, but then also acts on it. Experience. Experience. Very good. Mature. Mature. I need to find some better mentors. I, I got one of my best friends staying in my house. He's my account, one of my accountability partners. And like my wife and daughter, we're eating dinner tonight. Like, Pastor Ski's pretty intense. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I need to find better friends, I think. Go ahead. One more. A teacher? A teacher, yeah. You know, uh, someone who's going, and it's not just your physical teacher, even though if I gave you my list of mentors, some of my favorite uh, mentors, at least during the high school years, were some of my religion teachers or teachers at Lakeside Lutheran High School who just encouraged me for ministry. And someone who's going to teach you, uh, someone who's going to direct you back to God's Word. Um, I found this picture. You know, so a mentor is really these things, right? 
someone who's going to help develop you, who maybe has a, a skill set that you don't have that's willing to show you where your voids are at. Maybe it's a coach or someone who gives you advice or instructions, training, a, you know, ability, we mentioned knowledge, all these different things. So how do we find one? Um, when I, I think I've always kind of had that natural, I'm not a super book smart guy. I don't really enjoy just sitting down and reading, but I do love learning on the fly. In order to be able to do that, you need to have people teach you and train you. And sometimes you just figure it out yourself and get zapped and, as you're doing electrical. But then sometimes you just call your dad and like, why did I get zapped? Why do, how do I not make that happen again? You know, so there's things like that that you just want people alongside of you. Is there a need for mentors? You better believe it. Yeah. One in three children will grow up without a mentor. Yikes. You all talked about, we're just all jibber-jabbing about different people who are influential in your life. 33% of kids don't even have one of those people. That's why the news is crazy in Milwaukee. One in three children grew up in a fatherless home, and that number is much, much, much worse than the zip codes that you're currently attending. What are the possible benefits of a mentor at home, school, work, and church? So this isn't just us going through our formidable high school years. This isn't just getting our first jobs or making us through college. There's all kinds of different uh, pieces. I found some different stats for you. In the home, if you have a mentor in your life, these are all the benefits that I found that they've done research on that if you have a mentor in your life, these things will happen. This will be the outcomes in your life. For instance, I'm working with the Fatherhood Institute right now, uh, trying to figure out some additional programming for our, our students. They can, if you are in a fatherless situation, there are three things that you can do that will have an 86% per, uh, success rate if you do these three things and say that you do these three things and you can make it the middle class in America. You know what they are? Super simple. Graduate high school. Have your first kid after marriage, do those things in the right order, and work a full-time job. It's not college. It's not being in a CEO or anything like that. You can work X, Y, or Z job if you work full-time employment. If you're working hard, do biblical principles of what marriage and the family looks like, and graduate high school, you have an 80% chance of making it in the middle class. In order to be able to do that, you need to be able to take someone from one area and move them to another area, and that's what a mentor does. All these things happen. Better home life, better school life. And I heard you guys talking about it. What about in church? Barna Research Group. The first factor that will engage millennials at church is as simple as it is integral, relationships. When comparing 20-somethings who remained active in their faith beyond high school, 20-somethings who dropped out of church, the Barnard study uncovered a significant difference between the two. Those who stay were twice as likely to have a close personal friendship with an adult, so someone a little bit older, inside the church. So there's the stats. Nearly 60% of those who stayed reported such a friendship versus 31% among them who no longer had that relationship. And then that same pattern is evident among more intentional relationships, such as a mentor or a role model that's happening on a regular and routine basis. 28% uh, st uh, who stay had an adult member of the church other than the pastor compared to 11%. You triple your success rate of being in God's word and having that relationship and being a member of a congregation just by having a trusted mentor or friend in the process. So benefits in the home, benefits in church, benefits in school, and then finally, 
some of the things you're working about, thinking about right now as you're going to college and getting your first big boy or big girl job, right? 80% of CEOs polled have stated that they had a mentor. Inside knowledge, access to power, fast-tracked their career, kept them moving forward. Then the antithesis of it, 35% of employees who did not receive regular mentoring plan to look for another job within 12 months. Is there value in having a mentor in your life? I think we've established that pretty clearly. So let's take a look at how you find one, right? Benefits of the mentor, mentioned all right there. Self-esteem, accomplishment. You know, creation of networks and volunteers and sites uh, into childhood, adolescence, and young adult. Increased patience, improved supervisor skills. So there's benefits not only for the mentor, but also the mentee as we've looked at. Let's take a look at it. Pull out your phones right now. Let's go to our Bible app. Let's look at Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Got it? Yeah. Go ahead. Let's read it, please. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, yep, the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement sold the field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Thank you very much. So, what can we learn from Barnabas? Generosity. Yeah, there's a generosity that, that took place there. Anyone else? Barnabas was an ideal mentor because he was an encourager. They actually changed his name, right? The son of encouragement. Scripture only gives you a couple of verses about him, and we're going to look at five different sections of Scripture about Barnabas, but um, a guy that just seemed to be the heart and soul of moving people forward, right? I think he had a unique skill set to be an observer, right? Seeing where the need was, meeting that need, and then encouraging people along that way. A couple of bullet points I have for you right there. From Barnabas, we learned that a mentor... We must be or be willing to receive encouragement and motivate others to be in the word and serve the Lord. Again, scripture is kind of silent here, but you can see not only did he do it himself, he led by example, but we know that was kind of the tone of the church at that time, right? Those who were in need, those needs were being meant. So, he set a good example and gave generously of what he had to help others. So what would you be looking for in a mentor? If you're looking for a mentor, what would you be looking for then, based on Barnabas? Someone leading by example. Someone who leads by example. Puts their money where their mouth is, right? Someone who's willing to give time. Someone who's a student of God's word in this process as well, to be a Christian mentor. I mean, obviously this is a... One of the biggest goals that you have in your own life is to surround yourself by, with Christian role models who will help you on this walk of life until you get to be with Jesus forever in heaven, right? That's what it's all about. Okay, let's look at the second portion of Scripture. Any comments or questions about that first story? 
Again, we only have an hour. We could spend an hour on every one of these stories too. They're so fascinating. And what is written about Barnabas from other sources is just fantastic as well. Uh, let's read, read the second one then if I don't see any hands. Read Acts 9, 23 through 31. Another s section about Barnabas. Thank you. He had a rough week. <laughs> when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off for Paul's work. Then they first sailed to Derek, Galilee, and Samaria in greater time of peace and extension, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit to make disciples. So what do we know about Barnabas in this story? What's some of the background here that you know? Anyone? Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, for background, uh, this Saul here is the same Saul who uh, was the biggest attacker of Christianity and uh, later became one of the greatest Christians of all time, St. Paul. And what do we know about this guy? What did he need, Paul, Saul? He needed somebody who could like, truly be the insight in him. So he needed somebody to just draw that out and be like, no, this guy is actually a God person here. Right. And so you're saying Barnabas was like a little Yoda? I'm saying... No, I didn't say that, no. I'm not saying he was Paul, so... He saw the... He saw in Paul what he saw in Paul was doing before. Yeah, so I, th I think there's some really cool stuff about being a mentor and also being mentored, you know, unlocking potential, right? Um, maybe putting yourself out there to be burned just a little bit. We're going to see that happen a couple times on Barnabas, you know, vouching for him. Um, what Paul saw at this time really needed, I mean, he was, he was valedictorian of his Pharisee school. I mean, he was the top dog right there. And then he had his get knocked off his donkey moment and got to be trained by Jesus himself. And I'm sure he thought that he was, everything's going to be good at this point. You know, they're going to let me in. I met Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I'm one of the apostles now. This is fantastic. He goes to town and they're running after him, trying to kill him. All kinds of different groups. Doesn't say in there, but I bet you Barnabas was had sleepless nights watching over his back, making sure this kid's this kid's safe the entire time, right? And he saw the potential inside of him. And you see some really cool stuff. Not only did Saul receive that encouragement and that mentoring, but then you got that modeled for the entire Christian church at that time. Just think if Barnabas is hey, he's the guy that sold all of his land. He's all in and he's vouching for this guy. I bet you a lot of people, again, just stopped and paused, going, holy cow. Barnabas is talking. We better, we should stop and think right here. Maybe we shouldn't throw the first stone at the stone thrower. Okay, what can we learn? Barnabas sought out and believed in Saul when others did not. What else can we learn from? Mentors are willing to trust when others won't. 
I think there's a word that's, that you guys were talking about. We saw it in the picture, and you had mentioned as well. There's a trust factor that goes both ways in a mentor-mentee relationship, and it's trust. And that trust can be given, but it also needs to be earned. And we get to see it really in a real way right here. Another bullet point. I try to do three for each one of them. Mentors are willing to take risks when others are afraid. Barnabas really put himself in the line, right? For this kid. I mean, that if you if you would have made this into a movie, this could have turned sideways really quickly, right? Saul infiltrates the church and knows where everyone's at, and you know, that could have went really south really quickly, but Barnabas put the best construction on it, was willing to take this risk. Mentors believe when others have doubt. I think that's powerful. I think of some of the mentors I would have mentioned in that process. I was just a snot-nosed 15, 16-year-old kid in high school doing dumb stuff. And those pastors, those teachers, those aunts and uncles just saw like something, something that was worth investing in. And they went above and beyond and believed even when others doubted. I'm sure my parents like, he's never going to make it. He's never going to make it, right? <laughs> and then there's those people that believe in you. You know how that makes you feel too when people believe in you? Uh, just emotionally exciting in that process when you have someone that actually believes in you in that process. And as you seek for that mentor for, for church or for home or for business, find someone that actually believes in you, right? Okay, excellent. Comments, questions? Moving on. Third story then, friends. Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. Our third story of Barnabas. We're going to get them all in, all five of them tonight. Someone want to read those 12 verses, please. Go ahead. Okay, what do we know about Barnabas here? Some words that describe him, some actions. He gave Saul an opportunity to teach. Gave an opportunity to teach. He was doing. He was doing <laughs> things that set by another person. Yeah, there's action. I think there's some transferring of power, and I think that's going to be really cool as we look at stories number four and number five in this process, too. I mean, it's kind of like teaching your kid how to ride a bike, right? You're kind of running behind, huffing and puffing, and eventually kind of letting go, and there's a whole bunch of wobbling happening. You quick grab it again, you let him go. You can really see Barnabas, you know, the words that were used that he was, uh, you know, um, 
student of God's word is really what it's what it says. I mean, he just knew knew the scriptures and was a faithful Christian, you know, in this process. And he's got his hand on the back of Saul's collar and just kind of helped him through those first days. They spent an the entire year together. I mean, they're I'm gonna guess they're probably like living together and doing ministry every day together, and they're just two peas in a pod, right? So what can we learn from them? Barnabas involved Saul in what God was doing in Antioch. Barnabas could have easily done it all himself, right? I think one of the, but he got him involved. Like, I have some teenage kids right now, and uh, like, oh, we're having this for dinner. It's funny, as soon as you involve them in dinner, oh, this is pretty good stuff. Like, it's the same thing we had, you know, three months ago on the food plan, right? So once you involve people, there's more excitement, and that's what Barnabas is doing right there. He's involving Saul. What can we learn from this? Barnabas mentoring lessons. Mentors find a place for others to get involved. If you're talking about finding a mentor in the church right now, someone that's going to help you be that statistic to move from 11% to 29% of a lifelong um, devotional life and a membership in a congregation, if that's your will, it's, that older mentor is going to be helping you find a way to get involved or introduce you to somebody else or an act of service, staying connected in the gospel proclamation through either word or deed. Another thing we'd be looking for in a mentor, mentors seek out those. They are training and help them get experience, life, and ministry. It can be scary when you get invited along to something and do something you've never done before, right? And it's really difficult if you try to go do it by yourself, right? But it's not nearly as scary when you've got someone standing next to you. Again, that value of a, of a mentor in your life or being a mentor. Mentors don't have to do everything themselves. There's only so many relationships that you can have. There's only so many relationships that you can have in this process. We can help lots and lots of people, but you need to have that next group of people that are, are right next to you helping more people. We don't have to do it all ourselves. You need those extra people around you. Um, we were at a conference this past weekend, right, just talking about how Jesus poured into three, poured into 12, he poured into 72, and how that, you know, that inner circle, and then the 12, and then sending out the 72. I mean, there's only so many relationships anybody can hold, but then that mentoring and that encouragement at all the different levels so that more gospel work gets done. Fantastic. Comments, questions, Barnabas, awesome. We read through it, but we don't really dig in. I love doing all these all together, so I know it's super fast, but you get to take this home. Uh, let's take a look at verses uh, Acts chapter 13. We're just going uh, to read 1 through 13. It's actually the whole chapter, but let's just read 1 through 13. We got a name shift. Saul is no longer Saul, but he is Paul. Who would like to read this section for me? Go ahead. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Cyrene, Lucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, said, 
Mr. Barnabas and Paul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. What do you see in this transition right here? I think we've been kind of seeing it built up in this mentor-mentee relationship. What transition do you see in here? Did you, did you catch it? Saul's taking the lead now, isn't he? You know how hard that is for control freaks to do that? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's letting your kid drive the car for the first time by themselves without you. Like, is it going to be okay? But you don't hear any of that in Barnabas. What a, what a faithful man of God, and he kind of steps back. I mean, it's always Barnabas and Saul were called. Barnabas and Saul were called. Barnabas and Saul. And then, does Barnabas even mention in doing any of the talking? No. It's Saul, who's also called Paul, is taking the lead. He goes right at him, too. He's got an A-plus on that sticker chart that day, too. Just going right at him. And when they leave the town, Barnabas even mentioned? No, well, Paul and his companions left. That is really cool. Barnabas just kind of falls back into the background, taking on a different role now as his mentee now becomes the leader. I just love this. Barnabas was willing to allow Paul to become the prominent figure and lead ministry. Some things we can learn about from Barnabas's mentoring. Let others get involved and create a culture of mentoring and training. I don't... The churches that have it going on right now, I think, have this already built into their DNA if they try to or not to do that. A couple weeks ago, um, we went to my mom's house. She needed to have uh, 14 ash trees cut down at her house. Um, my dad had passed away two years ago, and my mom could either write a check to a, you know, a tree dropping company or all the members from St. Paul's Exonia's blue-collar, saltier people. Like, I can write a check to church, that same amount. And on that day, 17 different men came to cut down my mom's trees. So I wanted to be there, and I made my kids get up and come along that weekend. Why? Because these are some of the most fascinating, salt-of-the-earth men and their families that helped mold me. And uh, every one of them came up and said, oh, your dad would have been the first one here at this day. I'm like, that would have been my dad, too. But my kids, at the end of the day, I'm like, what did you notice? Christian men leading their families, hardworking, and just... They were influential in my life and just being able to let them, let them lead. And I brought two chainsaws along that day. I never fired one up on that entire day. It was so awesome just to see these men work and then to be able to model this. And then some of the kids who were doing most of the work were kids that were younger than me now taking these leadership roles as they're listening. And this is just a simple tree-cutting exercise. But I think that just goes back to the power of the church and the power of positive men and women in your lives. It was just was fantastic create a culture of training and mentoring. Before you move on, you need to train a man or men to take up your place, right? There's a part in life as well as you transition, at least for me in ministry. I've been at Lighthouse for 16 years. At some point, I got to start talking succession plan and find the person who's going to take up 
the organization after me. We talk about that in gospel ministry at churches. You're talking about that in your own roles inside of the church or in a business, looking for that succession plan. And then being able to take your hands off the steering wheel as well. And I think this is a big one. It's probably mostly for me. Don't be so insecure that you can't shift from leader to follower. There is that transition piece. And I think Barnabas in the story does such a wonderful job of just kind of sinking back and letting the next generation lead. Doesn't mean he doesn't go anywhere. He keeps encouraging. I know he was in, the, in that group that went for another year before John left. Okay, last story. Number five, and we'll get to some points. For some more discussion. Okay, last story here, friends. My trifold is in the wrong direction. Where am I? Three, four, five. Acts chapter 15. Verses 37 through 41. It's the smallest one, so that way I should see a lot more hands now. So it's one of those big ones. Go ahead. Okay. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it right to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Anyone remember this story or what happens here? Yeah. We kind of we get a little bit of the highlights. So, you know, so Paul and his company, they set sail for a place. Barnabas is probably in that group. What does the last verse say in that last reading? Who takes off? John Mark, right? Don't know what happened here, but now all of a sudden we have this story. What happens in this story? Barnabas wanted to welcome John Mark back into the uh, group, but uh, Paul did not uh, want that. <laughs> and it got so serious that uh, they parted ways. They both had to go into timeout land for a little while, right, from each other. I think this story is just, I mean, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I think it just is so fascinating for not only church leadership, but also for relationships and mentors and mentees. What do we see Barnabas do here? I don't think either of these guys were right. I don't think either of these guys were wrong. They had a sharp disagreement. We know later on in life everything seems to have worked out. They needed to go different directions. But what was Barnabas willing to do? Let go of the reins completely. Let go of the completely for Paul, right? Forgive. He forgives. Which ironically was Saul or Paul. A decade beforehand, right? So what do we see Barnabas, this mentor, doing? What's he go? Repeat. We'll do it again. You know, and, and then in this process, they separate ways, and what happens? More ministry gets done, right? More lives get changed. More people get helped in this process, so much that John Mark, who was the outsider, gets to write a gospel eventually. So. <laughs> oh, that was that Mark. <laughs> There you go. Bring it all together tonight. So awesome, right? How cool. Okay, a couple things that we can learn from them. Barnabas mentoring lessons. We must be highly committed to investing in others. Barnabas was so highly committed he was willing to separate ways with the guy he did ministry with for well over a decade, I bet. What else do we learn? When we mentor others, we must be willing to take risk on them who have failed and help them. 
Sometimes when we choose to forgive, to invest, and to take risks with people, we may be criticized. I think about a lot of the lighthouse relationships that I have. <laughs> and the ones you probably helped experience as well, too. There are days when the kids were just fantastic and learning and growing. The next day, they just hurt you more than you ever can even imagine. And you have a, you have a moment to make a decision, right? Do I hold on to this and harbor this and judge and just cross them out of my life? Or do I forgive and see the best and maybe be taken advantage of a little bit and show a lot of love and even more forgiveness and see where it goes? I think that's really important for both the mentor and the mentee. You know, so that, that's kind of lighthouse, is kind of talking about those different things in that process. And we get to the part where we're talking about things that you can that you can learn. I want you to write down one of those things. As, as Pastor had mentioned, I'm part of this cross-train coaching network. I've been in it for about 10 years. I think this whole mentoring or seeking out a role model was kind of always in my DNA because that's just kind of the way that I learned in this process. When I came to uh, Milwaukee to start the Lighthouse Youth Center, I grew up on a dairy farm in Exonia, Watertown, Wisconsin. I didn't know anything about the city. I didn't want to be a pastor, actually, because this whole evangelism thing was way too scary. And preaching every Sunday, I didn't know what to say. And uh, it's just funny how God leads you through life with the right people at the right times. And I look at Pastor Parlo, who we got to spend a few days with. I vickered for him, and he was just influential leader in my life. Still stay connected to him to this day. When I need something, or I need to vent, or I need some advice, he'll always pick up the phone. And then he'll usually rip on me just a little bit. And if I need something, there's a secret word. It's not please. Yes, John, I'll do it well. Um, so he's just find a role model. I come to Milwaukee. I don't have any idea what I'm going to do, how to learn about urban and cross-cultural ministry. There's 27 guys that have spent, their, have spent many years here. Immediately identified two men that I wanted to spend some time with. I didn't ask them for that. I probably just kind of found ways onto their calendar in order to make it happen. And uh, one of them was uh, Pastor Ken Fisher. He was at Risen Savior at the time. He was at Wisco. My kids go to Wisco. I got one out. And Anyone from Concordia here tonight? My daughter's a freshman at Concordia. Zoe Buskey, so she plays volleyball there. Make her come along next time, okay? <laughs> we'll make that happen. Um, I didn't know all this stuff. I'm a bad dad, so. Um, uh, you know, I just spent time with him. He was just had a long history in the city of Milwaukee. He learned from probably the original guy, Rolf Westendorf. That was his mentor in the process. And um, Ken is just one of those guys that just gets stuff done. Sometimes he loves running people over in the process, but he gets stuff done, right? And he loves and loves, loves the city. And the second guy was Pastor Mark Henrich, who was at Atonement. And he was just a gentle heart, missionary, gospel, and just loved. I mean, he did world missions and just loved people, meeting them where they're at. And there's try to gather as much information and be around them as much as possible. So it's not like a, hey, can I be on your calendar and can you mentor me in this process? No, just kind of spending time and, and having conversations and asking questions and building up that trust. The coaching network that I'm a part of really intentionalizes that because I, don't, I think as, especially as pastors and as Christians, we have to always have this kind of this mentality that we have everything always put together and then we just do things by ourselves. And we don't want to burden anyone other anyone else, or they wouldn't understand, or I don't want to confess that I have this problem or issue. And and pastors are probably worse than everyone else in this process because we're in this glass fishbowl and we have to have it all together all the time. 
I had a dear friend over last night who's friends with Pastor Ski. He's going through some family stuff right now with one of his college daughters uh, with some eating disorders. And he, you know, he's just been on an island by himself. I'm like, why aren't you sharing this with us so we can help you and pray for you and just be friends in the process? So the coaching network is all about, uh, we're in a group of about 10 individuals um, that are in our group. We meet together annually uh, for a four-day conference. And then we meet together for... Um, uh, growth book every month. We have about 120 pastors that uh, join this uh, book review. We do one hour with a presenter and then one hour as a group. And then we have a one-on-one meeting with a coach that talks about the in three major areas, physical, spiritual, and emotional, with goals that are being able to be set out that are both uh, written out, attainable, and can be, be followed up on. And there's just this total trust that is built over time so that you have someone in life that when the world, our sinful flesh, or the devil hit a smack in the face, there's someone to go back to so it doesn't wreck your own soul, your family, or your ministry. And it's been powerful. That's just the way to put it is powerful. And uh, that, that, that transparency is a really important word, someone that you can just be transparent with that can help you grow. And I know that I still fall on my face a whole bunch of times. But I know that, you know, in that process, I am so much better with this band of brothers, so to speak. And that's what Scripture really talks about, about doing life together with Christians. And that's why you're here. little food, little fellowship, little Bible study. And I wanted to just be able to encourage you tonight. And I think that was the goal, maybe what you're looking for is, you know, what should I be looking for in an individual? And I think Barnabas is the individual to be set a role model. I think there's some really great principles around them that we look for from Christian role models. And I think it's going to help you spiritually, emotionally, and uh, it's going to allow you to be a better ambassador for him, both in your your words and your actions. So comments, questions that you have, pushback, feedback. I'm a big boy. Go ahead. At what point is it like, I mean, is it perpetually like a, like a you're getting mentored, but at some, like, at what point are you qualified to be a mentor? Like, and then do you still get mentored when you're a mentor? Or like, how do you? That's a really good question on different levels. I'll do I'll I'll do the I'll do personal and I'll also do in the coaching network. Okay, so in the coaching network right now, we started out with just one group and then it was two groups, and it was one gentleman, Rick Lowen, who was kind of mentoring all twenty of these guys. And all of a sudden, people are like, "Hey, I see a difference difference in my pastor. Or, Our guy's got a problem this area." And also, was get the three groups and four groups. Well, Rick couldn't spend you know half hour to forty five minutes you know, once a month with now 40 people, you know, there's only so many relationships that you can hold. So in that process, in these groups, men were identified to now be also some of the coaches. And there's different coaches trainings that you can go to. And uh, all of our, our, there's six of us now that are coaches in this process. I'm not one of the coaches that has a group of people. I, I, I love finances. So I'm the financial coach. So I'm Dave Ramsey certified and all that fun stuff. And I help pastors through and uh, which is fun on a different level because I'm just nerdy. I want to be an accountant first. So, uh, uh, so I think that's the progression right there that Rick identified men who would be good coaches. They put all the pieces in action into their life and now they can help in that process. They still do receive time with Rick. We have every three months we have a coaching uh, group and then we each receive coaching each and every month too so I get to work with Rick every month on that as well and then I have a peer coach I talk to a peer coach every Wednesday morning Tim Glendy up in Appleton 8 a.m. we talk for 45 minutes about life about goals about family about ministry highs lows 
he knows stuff that I think even sometimes my wife doesn't know. So it's just being able to get really, really transparent. So um, I think in this, you know, one of the things we were at this conference, it was beautiful up in Green Bay. And what, what scared me just a little bit about this conference was everyone was a lot older. Some of those guys have been there for a long time. There wasn't a ton of young people there, you know, especially church leaders. And uh, I've been pushing on a few pastors that I know that are, that are in some of these ro different roles throughout our districts, like when they have their conferences and their getaways. I remember gentlemen who just made themselves available during dinner. You kind of just, as a young guy, who just kind of was in the room and you just kind of listen and watch and learn. And I don't see those opportunities always happening. I'm like, what's going to happen with this next generation when they don't have time with the John Parlos and the Jim Hebners and the Mark Jeskies and, you know, down the line. Um, so we need to, at least it's on my radar, because I like this stuff to try to intentionalize more of that. So, And sometimes people, life happens. Mark Henrich is in Canada. I don't have a call, calling plan. I got to use the WhatsApp to talk with him. And, you know, he's got grandkids now and, and all that fun stuff. So sometimes life just moves on. But then when you've invested in these relationships for 10 years, you don't see each other for a year. It's just like you, like not one day's passed. It's so cool. We, uh, so one of our church's core values that we put together about five years ago was one of them just called biblical discipleship. You can come up with a better adjective. <laughs> but the, the concept of how it was explained in our main chat was you, uh, every person uh, values sitting under somebody else that you invite to speak into your life and um, offer you critique and, and like you're, you're committing to do that uh, but then you're also kind of pouring yourself disproportionately into one or two people so there's somebody who's a couple steps ahead of you and then there's somebody who isn't a hasty judgment it's just saying like we're all at different spots in the journey a couple steps behind you and um, you're helping bring that person along as somebody else is kind of helping bring you along so I think if you can if you can theoretically do both at the same time being uh, measured and, and some of that happens now. Pulled and be pulled, right? <laughs> yeah, in some, you know, if you're if you if you have kids, obviously that's your primary, you know, God given natural way of doing some level of mentoring there. But um, but the, the idea is that we would all probably need to do both. It would take to be. I actually just had a meeting with our executive director today, and he said in the next year our top like strategic step is to we haven't actually implemented a program to carry out that or a, a system to carry out that core value but like I, I think this is I think this is a thing that in the future of churches moving forward an intentional system of as opposed to just sending everybody to Bible studies and everybody to volunteer programs and which is all kind of good stuff but like it's it's all almost like not completely relational in yep. the way it needs to be right very good comment It's those divine appointments that God puts in your life because you've had X, Y, or Z life experience and all of a sudden you have to be attuned to it though too because it, it's pretty easy for us to justify or rationalize not being and investing in someone else. So you need to be a little vulnerable in that process and also be attuned to it. And I think that's in the process that 
again, the encouragement for the coaching network, and it sounds shameful, but I don't even know what it is inside our circles, but I think Barnes has done research. Like 80% of pastors that are out there across the globe don't even do a personal Bible study. I mean, they study their word professionally, but they're, they're in the word on a regular basis, but not just digging in for themselves. So my encouragement for you is spend five to 10 minutes a day in God's word each and every day, and we hold each other accountable in that process. I listen to the U, uh, the U version app. I walk my dog, listen to six to eight chapters every day, try to get through the entire New Testament once a year. Uh, I try to journal. Um, I read one, pa- uh, one chapter of scripture and then do a soap, uh, scripture observation, application, prayer, do that. I'm terrible at it. So I am, because I am so detail oriented at the same time perfectionist so like I start the year out perfectly and I get all the way through like February and then I miss four or five days and I'm like save those days can we go back and get them and then I just give up so uh, that's why I need a, a mentor in my life to say it's not about you today's a new day it's not about being perfect perfect spend 10 minutes with Jesus and let him pour into you so that you can pour in other people it's forgiveness there so Tim Glennie needs to remind, remind me of that because we're both check off the box on our to-do list and uh I can spend 10 minutes in God's Word and not remember one thing. You have to find little things that do. I pick out one passage, put a note card, try to memorize it, try to use it three times in a day. All kinds of just little things just to spend time in God's Word. So make sure you're doing that. And then just, you know, if you're in God's Word and doing something physical, making sure you walk five to 10,000 steps. And that's my goal this year. I have not failed in the physical, or I failed in the physical part, and Tim Glennie's going to get $5 for every pound if I don't hit my goal this year. So I have to tie finances to it in order to motivate me. So being the temple of the Holy Spirit doesn't work, isn't good enough. I need to tie finances to it and a, and a penalty that will cost me money to actually make this happen. So um, so it's all, it's all, so you can have some fun inside these relationships as well as you seek to, to uh, be a better you in Jesus. So. Find those people, lock onto them, intentionalize it, be vulnerable, speak the truth, be transparent. And the people of God around you will do the exact same thing and you're going to grow in ways that you never even thought of. So, cool. Anything else? Miss anything? You're just going to walk down the hallway. Will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? What are you doing to? No. This was so much fun. I, I love this. I love campus ministries. Um, I, like I said, I didn't want to be a pastor because I had this whole evangelism and preaching thing. I wanted to, I wheeled and dealed with God after my year at Whitewater that I would be a pastor if he put me at like an Erie Lutheran High School, like Wisco or Lakeside or Kettle or something like that. And since then I've had three high school calls and I've turned them all down because I'm, 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 where I'm where I need to be. Um, but um, I just have this burning desire to help, help young people. I had a call to the chapel in Madison as well and just I love it. Be a band together. Make this important in your lives. Find awesome Christian friends. And uh, be led and be leaders, okay? God's blessings. Can we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for some some food. Uh, We thank you for for some fellowship. And then we thank you first and foremost for your word, uh, for allowing your Holy Spirit to uh, pour into us as we studied uh, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, and all the different uh, ways he has uh, mentored Christian leaders and set an example both for us to be mentored and to be mentors. Allow these young people in, these, in this room right now to uh, dig deeply into your word, pray boldly, and allow uh, Christian friends, mentors, role models to 
uh, pull them in one direction and allow them as they continue to mature in their faith to, to pull other people along as well so that more and more might uh, be closer to you and ultimately live with you in heaven. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, friends. <laughs>